Well, I, I want to draw your attention to just one little verse. And really, what I'm going to try to do, if this will work out, and I hope it is, and I hope it's something that will be helpful for you if it does, is that I thought we would have a little series on the doctrine of holiness. And, uh, and so I think for probably four out of the next six Sundays, that's what we're going to do. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 is going to be kind of like a theme verse uh, in this. You know, the first time I did this, uh, I did it, I, I, I stuffed it all into one sermon and uh, did it in an association meeting. But then after that, we kind of lengthened it, which is something that Baptist preachers really know how to do. And uh, we ha and I did it for a Bible study at the First Baptist Church in Vider. It was a four-part type thing. We're going to kind of do that. And so this is really going to be more of a lesson than it will be a sermon if you want to make a distinction between the two. But I hope that it helps you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. This is the way it reads in the English Standard Version. It says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Years ago, uh, my dad was telling me this, was that they were living in Madisonville at the time, and there was one of the local goobers around there that, you know, he, he kind of had a small engine repair shop. He was a good old boy, couldn't help but like him. I know my dad really did like him. He said he was really good at doing his job. He could make things run. And one time, my dad, I think it was a lawnmower, and he took it to the guy, and he said, well, I just cannot get this thing to run. And he said, the old boy kind of looked at, at him and he said, well, has it got fuel? And he said, well, yeah. Well, has it got spark? And he said, yeah. Well, does it have compression? And he said, well, as far as I can tell. He said, well, you know, if they got fuel and they got spark and if they got compression, it's kind of hard to keep these motors from running. <laughs> Well, you know, those were the three necessities. You needed to have spark, you needed to have fuel, you needed to have compression. If you didn't have one of those, you were going to be missing out on what you needed to do, and it wasn't going to work. Well, you know, whenever we look at the Bible, we find things that are what are necessary matters in the Christian life. I refer to them as the non-negotiable things in our Christian life. And they are these three things. One of them is love. You know, whenever Jesus was asked one time by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and particularly the Pharisees, when they asked him what is the greatest commandment, what did he tell them? He said, the first and the greatest commandment is this, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he said, and the second one is like it. He said, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if Jesus tells us that something is the first and the greatest commandment, I think we better best do that. He was not saying that it was the first suggestion that God ever made, but he said this is the first and the greatest commandment. If God says, if Jesus says it's that important, that is something that we must concentrate on, and that would be a non-negotiable thing in our life. As a matter of fact, Paul, in talking about love in, in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, if I, he said, if I have not love... I am nothing. And so you have to do this. You have to love God. And if you love God, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Non-negotiable. Another thing is this, is that, is another, another article is this. It has to do with faith. 
in Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's not just saying it's a little difficult to please God without faith. He's not saying that it's hard to please God without faith. He said it's absolutely impossible to please God without faith. We are saved on the basis of God's grace, but the only way that we can receive that grace is by putting our faith in Him and putting our belief and trust in Jesus Christ. If you do not have faith, you're messed up. And, your, and all of your confessions and all of your professions are absolutely meaningless. We have to put our faith in God. Right? Right. The third non-negotiable is this, and it's the one that we don't talk about very much. And it's holiness. Notice what this passage said. Now, if you have a King James Version, it says to follow after, uh, follow after peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. And, and the King James Version is beautiful. And as a matter of fact, in the mask-only service, that's what we use because that's basically what everybody has. I still like to hear it read. I really do. But I'm kind of thinking that the word follow back in the 1600s had a little bit of a stronger meaning than it does today. Like in Psalm 23, it kind of winds up by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when it talks about God's goodness and mercy following us, the word that is used there by David is a very strong word and usually would be translated pursue. In other words, all your life, God's goodness and God's mercy is just going to chase you around everywhere you go. You won't be able to get away from it. This is the same idea in the terminology that the writer to the Hebrews is using when he says to strive after holiness or to pursue holiness, chase after it, do whatever you can for it, do whatever you can to lay your hands on it, because without holiness, we are not going to see God. At least we're not going to see Him on the terms that we want to see Him. This is something that's non-negotiable. We have to have love. We have to have faith. We have to pursue after holiness. Period. Now, the thing that whenever we talk about holiness, sometimes we have some problems with that. We don't really seem to understand it like we should. We don't really understand the nature of holiness like we should. Whenever you look in your Bible, you're going to see a, a kind of what we would call a word group. It would take in th words like holiness or holy or sanctify and, and saints and sanctification. Now, in our English language, we don't see that there's a connection between holiness and sanctification or the word holiness and saints. If you speak Spanish, you know that there is a connection among all those words that are right there. And so what it is is this. Holiness comes from this word, from a single word, that has to do with to be separated and to be set apart. Think of it this way. The things that, the articles that were in the temple, and you can think of whatever you want to about them, you know, like, let's just take the, the altar for where burnt offerings were set up. That was holy. You didn't go in there and clean that thing off and decide to play dominoes on it later. You didn't go in there to spread a tablecloth over it and have your picnic lunch. That thing was for one purpose only, and it was to worship God and to give glory to God. That's what it was for. 
and that was all it was for, and anyone that wanted to use it in any other way was treading on some pretty dangerous ground. So now whenever we talk about that, that's what holiness would mean in something that is inanimate. But whenever holiness comes to refer to us, what it's talking about is very much the same thing. We have been set apart. In other words, we have been chosen, called by God's grace, we have been redeemed, we have been purchased and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we have been set apart to be holy, meaning our purpose is this, we are devoted to bring glory and praise to God. That's what we're supposed to do. That is the reason that God has saved us, is that we're that way. And so when God refers to us is that we should be holy, or when God says that we are being called saints or God's holy people, that means that our purpose is to bring glory and praise to God. Put simply, that's it. Now, here's the problem. We have wrong ideas about holiness and what it is. We forget that what it's all about, that we're set apart to bring glory to God, and we have these ideas that, you know, Holiness is something that we can mix, brew up on our own. In other words, but we understand this. Holiness is not orthodoxy. Meaning, orthodoxy meaning the right system of doctrine. Folks, you can quote the Apostles' Creed backwards and forwards. You can know every word in the Baptist faith and message from ever in all of its renditions. You can know anything about the New Hampshire Creed. You can come up with all kinds of, of, of systems of belief, and you can believe all of that or profess to believe all of, that, all of that and not be holy. You can believe the right things about God and not be holy. If you want some proof text on that, look at James chapter 2, verse 19, where James says, you believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe that, and they shudder about it. So you can have all the right ideas about God. You can believe in the Trinity. You can believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. You can believe that God is eternal. You can believe that He's the creator of all things. Believe all that, but still not be holy and not be using your life to bring glory and praise to God. Does that make sense? Well, let's see if the next one does. Holiness is not formalism. Jesus criticized this in some of the religious leaders of His day. He told to the Pharisees, He said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes this to Timothy. He said, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people who will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and get this, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. In other words, there are people that can put on a show and make it look like that they are on the same page with God. And saying, you know, me and Jesus got our own thing going. But I will tell you, if you have not devoted your life to God for your life to bring praise and glory to God, if you are not pursuing holiness, you're not pulling the wool over God's eyes. It may be that you're tricking everybody else and fooling everyone else in the fact that you are really something special and holy, but you aren't, you aren't fooling God. 
He hadn't been fooled yet, and I don't imagine that he's anywhere close to being fooled. Holiness is not ritualism. You're, you're familiar with the story of Simon the sorcerer, or Simon Magus, in Acts chapter 8. You know how Philip went there, and he evangelized the people in this Gentile area, and then after all of that, that uh, uh, he, baptized, he, he baptized people? Well, they did not receive the Holy Spirit, and there's a long story as to why that is, and if you want to know, talk to me after church. I don't want to go into that right now. But what we see is this, is that the Apostle Peter went over there to see the work that was going on. And the people received the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter prayed over them, put his hands on them, and received the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. And, and Simon, the sorcerer, who had made a lot of money off of doing tricks, told Peter, he said, you know, I want to buy the information on that. How much do you need me to give you so I can do the same thing you're doing? Now, you need to understand what Peter told him. He said, your money perish with you, which basically means you and your money can go to the devil. And then he said this. He said, you have neither part nor lot in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Simon, the sorcerer, had been baptized. He had gone through that ritual, but it didn't make him holy. Folks, you can be baptized so many times that your hands look like prunes, but it doesn't make you holy. You can take the Lord's Supper until your teeth are stained by the grape juice, but it doesn't make you holy. You can go through all the rituals that we call upon you to go through. One of those rituals, I know for some people, is walking the aisle. And I remember hearing one guy say, well, no, he walked the aisle. He's saved. Well, he isn't living like it. Well, no, that doesn't make any difference. He walked the aisle. And he went through this ritual. But that is not what makes us holy. And without holiness, we will not see God. Holiness is not legalism. Notice what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the hypocrites again. He said, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. In other words, they would tithe, even give a tenth of even the most insignificant little herbs growing in their gardens. And he said, you tithe from that mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Sometimes we have come up with all kinds of things that we think that if we do them and we've come up with our own system of pleasing God and we've done it so well that we're convinced that we're great because we don't do certain things. And the things that we condemn sometimes are not even touched upon in the scripture, not even remotely. Whenever I was a student at Dallas Baptist College and I was studying for the ministry, I worked for a place where we made cardboard boxes and we had a break room, and whatever it was, every two hours or so, we could take a break. You know, we would have an afternoon break or a morning break. And I just brought this up, making polite, polite conversation with everybody else in there, and I just said something. Uh, you know, I had a neighbor just a couple of doors down, and he and I would every day get together, or every night get together and play dominoes. I mean, just plain old straight-up dominoes. And I was telling him, kind of bragging, that I was beating him like a drum. I mean, I was. I was whipping him bad. And, and, whenever, and this one woman spoke up and she said, and you're studying to be a preacher? 
and you're playing dominoes? I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know that that was something that made me impure or unholy. I mean, I wasn't gambling with him and stealing money that he could have used to help out his starving grandmother. I wasn't doing anything like that. I didn't know that that was considered to be bad. But you see, there's some people that consider themselves holy because they do certain things, and they certainly avoid doing other things that they've come up with as being something that's unholy. I've heard of some people that said, you know, you can't play cards. You shouldn't even have a deck of cards in your house. Does that mean that we can't play crazy eights or spades? And is that something that is unholy? If so, I'm going to tell you what, we are messed up. You know, I mean, this is something that's wrong. But there are people that they put together this own, their own system of ethics and rights and wrongs. And they feel like just because they're doing that, we're pleasing God. But we're not. Holiness is something that is different from that. Okay? Just bear that in mind. Another thing we see is that holiness is not asceticism. I know, that's one of those 25-cent words. But what it means is, is that you deny yourself certain things. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, once again, the Apostle Paul is writing, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Who Now get this. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now folks... If you don't want to eat pork, that's fine. I don't care. But don't tell me that I can't because I like bacon. You know, but there are things what people will do is they'll say, I'm going to deny myself this and I'm not going to do this. And by denying myself, I am going to show everyone how holy I am. It was said that during the time of Jesus that people would fast twice a week. And, and, and Jesus told those people that did that, if that's what you're doing, don't look like you're doing it. They would try to look as miserable and as hungry as they could because they were wanting to impress everybody else with their holiness and with their godliness. Well, you might impress everybody else, but you're not impressing God. And he's the one that we, whose approval that we need. The scripture says to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Pretty strong words. Holiness is not monasticism. I like that. In other words, you say, well, I want to be holy. And what I'm going to do, if you're a guy, you say, I'm going to move into a monastery. No TV, no movies, no radio. No, nothing. We're just going to live there together in a monastery. Or you might, gals, you may join a convent. Or you might get thyself to a nunnery, as Shakespeare might say. And you feel like that by doing that, you have cut yourself off from the rest of the world. This nasty, demonic, ugly world. And I'll tell you, there's certain things in this world we need to stay away from. It sure is. But listen... You can live in a monastery and not have any contact with the outside world and still be a dirty old man. And you can be a dirty old woman, too. You know, the pro our problem is this, 
is that the problem is inside of us. It says in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. One of the jobs that I had while I was in seminary was I was working for a freight dock, Central Freight Lines. There was a guy that I worked with there named Ed, Ed Ray. And uh, Ed Ray got saved while I was working there. And uh, I wish I could take all the credit for it, but uh, I think God got all the credit for it, and plus Ed Ray's wife, who told him one Sunday morning that he needed to get his lazy self out of bed, and he needed to go to church with her. He said, because the devil's going to put a hot chain around your neck. <laughs> and, and anyway, so Ed Ray told And I know I, I saw Ed Ray one Monday whenever he showed up for work, and he said, man, you're not going to believe what happened. He said, God saved me. He said, I've been saved. And he said, I went to church Sunday, which was a thing that he hadn't done in no telling when. He said, God saved me. And I'm going to tell you something. I believed it was the real deal. And uh, I remember one day he and I were working together, and, and uh, I may mention this again sometime, but uh, we were loading something. He dropped his stuff that he was supposed to set down. And I remember he let out a little profanity and he stopped and he looked at me he said you know i got to quit saying that you know because he, he he wanted to please god he really did and i remember he told me he said joe he said since i've been saved i had to find a new way to get home at night you know we worked a night shift you know we'd get off about 12 or one o'clock and and he told me he said joe he said the quickest way for me to get home was to go through turtle creek some of you know what that was like. And because he told me, he said, because whenever I drive through there, he said, I see women and what they were prostitutes. And he said, and they're standing out there waving at me to come over there. And he said, and I, and the way Ed Ray put it, he said, and I began to lush. <laughs> His pronunciation was funny. And he said, and God says it's not right to lush. He said, so I found a different way home. He realized that the problem wasn't so much the people that were out there on the street. He realized that the problem was in here because he began to lust. And he said, I found a different way home. This is our problem. Our problem is ourselves. And so, you know, all of these things that we just talked about are man-made attempts at holiness. You know, and really, they're also man-made attempts to hide from God if you really think about it. Now, the Bible tells us that holiness means to be like God. Leviticus 19 says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Folks, we cannot imitate God's power. We can't be omniscient. We can't imitate his knowledge. We can't imitate his power. We cannot imitate his sovereignty. We can't imitate his creative abilities, but we can strive to imitate his moral character and purity. The scripture says, for us to set your eyes, set your eye fully upon the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, is obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your life. Let me ask you, and I think I would know the answer to this with nearly every one of you, but maybe I don't. Do you want to see God someday on good terms? I mean, so what if that's what you want? This is what you need to do. You need to stop being merely religious on the outside. You need to do away with the impurity in your heart. You need to call upon the Lord and confess your sins and repent and put your trust in Him. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Without holiness, no one will see God. Your calling that you receive from God is not to be outwardly religious. It is to be holy and to reflect God's character. I was pastor at one church one time, and there was a little boy in there named Philip. Philip at the time, I don't know, he may have been four years old or something like that. I don't know whether you remember this guy, but he, was, he played, I think he was a fullback for the Pittsburgh Steelers named Franco Harris. I don't know whether any of you remember. He was, Franco Harris was one big, strong-looking dude. And this little boy looked like a little miniature Franco Harris. And he was strong for a little boy. And it just seemed like you couldn't hurt him. You know, I think he could have run into a brick wall and then just turned around and roared at everybody. And I would try to go up to Philip at first, and I would try to talk to him. And every time I would, he would put his head down and he would walk off because he was shy. And so I think his parents must have talked to him about that and said, you know, don't, don't, don't run away from Brother Joe. He doesn't want to hurt you. And so one day, some of us had gone to Marble Falls to the bowling alley, and we were going to have it was kind of a Sunday school get-together. And I was sitting there in the seat, and here comes little Franco Harris. And he surprised me. He crawls up in my lap, and he looks up at me with those big, dark eyes of his, and he said, Hi, God. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> You know what? We all laughed and it embarrassed him. But I wish, I really wish that I could live a life in such a way that I would really remind somebody of God. That's what I would like. I hope you want that too. Let's pray together. Now, our Father, in your mercy, you have called us to yourself. In your mercy, you have been patient with us, and we're thankful that you are. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would work and move in our lives so that we would be holy, so that we would realize that our job here on this earth is to bring glory and praise to you. There's nothing greater that we can do. Oh, Lord, give us a hunger and our thirst just for that day when we get to see you face to face and rejoice in your presence. Lord, please do that. And Lord, if there are things that we need to repent of and put away, if we need to get rid of our external holiness, Lord, cause us to do that today and to reach out for the holiness that you can work in our heart. Oh Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.